0: Hi, I'm Bailey Liverman, the Assistant Music Director here at KCSU, and this month on the Monthly Music Podcast, I sat down with David Lawrence following the release of his album Lean In to talk about his album, its inspirations, and a couple other things regarding him as a musician. Hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening. How did you start in music?
1: I kind of, I didn't start with music. I started writing poems mm-hmm. when I was in high school. I, I mean, I, I got into it because I liked rap. Like I liked Eminem and stuff when I was growing up. I, became like the regional slam master at my college. And I went to like the Birmingham National Slam and was really involved in that world. And then kind of realized no one really cared about poetry that much. And I sort of, it's not that like, not that I care that much what other people think, but I, I just figured if I got music involved, it would make my poems more impactful and I could write songs and people would listen to them more and it'd be cool. And I always kind of wanted to try the guitar. So I, I, I bought a guitar of like 20 bucks and I just sat there on like, I think it was winter break or something from my freshman year of college and I just was obsessed with the guitar and fortunately, my dad is an amazing musician. He plays guitar, piano and has a great ear. My sister, twin sister, plays guitar and, and bass and they just kind of helped me, gave me some chords and watched some YouTube and we just got completely obsessed with the guitar and I mean, when you first play an instrument, it's not like you just jump into like making songs. I mean, yeah. it's like, it takes a long road of sort of working on just the fundamentals of how to use the instrument and uh, I was way beyond, it was, that was way beyond me. I mean, I didn't even know that like C, D, E, F, G, A, B, C. Like I didn't know the notes. I didn't know if this instrument was in tune or out of tune I could like barely hear even if the instrument was like in tune or not you know I was singing my sister used to come next to my room and be like shut up shut up (laughs) do you not hear how bad you sound oh my god I can't handle it and she finds it so funny that people pay me to sing music now so so yeah it's just a testament out there that hey you're not really ever too old to start because I was like 19 or 18, 19 when I started which is a lot I don't recommend starting out late I mean it'd be better to start when you're younger but you know and then same with like your voice I mean my voice really Was terrible. And I don't think I have like an amazing voice now, but I am a quote unquote professional singer and you know it's definitely workable <laughs> you know people say that they really like it it's, it's come like in a tremendous way from like where it was so I think a lot of people have this in, in idea that music is sort of this innate gift that some people have and some people don't especially when it comes to vocals and it's like no like everything is an instrument that you have to work on some people of course have you know a more proclivity to it when they start off and they just you know it's usually people that come from really musical families and it's just in kind of in ingrained in them and stuff. And then some people have to work a little more, but the distance you can go for anyone is so far if you put your mind to it and you just want to try it out.
0: And I think a lot of people don't realize that it's more like math
1: than you would expect. You can look at it from sort of any angle and sort of get a a lot out of it. So I think that it's probably that each person is going to kind of have a way that they are gonna want to approach it or that's that, that's gonna like mesh with their sensibilities and the way that they think about things already and they're gonna be able to look at music from that lens and that can be the gateway and the door that gets into it for them, you know? Yeah. Where like for me, like like for some people, regardless of if whether you like it or not, music is math. Like yeah, it just is. Like it's it's that's just the truth of it. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's frequencies, it's intervals, it's patterns that happen. But so obviously that's like one good angle to look at it and it's an angle that you sort of have to look at it eventually if you want to be able to communicate with other musicians well if you want to write music on like paper and stuff like that but you you know I've had amazing musicians that they can't tell you a single chord they can't tell you a single note that they're playing and they're some of the best musicians in the world you know and because they, they just don't look at it that way you know I mean if, if you want to be able to communicate quickly and easily with other people looking at it from all the views and seeing it for what it is is crazy critical.
0: What type of music did you listen to like
1: as a kid? Like I was saying with the poetry I was real stoked on Mm -hmm. underground hip hop Eminem was like kind of the gateway heat I, obviously not underground but then that kind of led me to like Sage Francis and Bill and just Aesop Rock and different people that were doing I mean there's probably a whole world of it now because I'm not into that scene anymore but <laughs> just just this this type of hip hop that was so much more about the content of the words and all that I was really into that and then I kind of got into when I started playing guitar kind of everything sort of changed and I just kind of started getting obsessed with guitar music like just old blues Music, old like Delta blues, Mississippi blues, then Chicago blues, Muddy Waters, Howlin' Wolf, Sonny Boy Williamson, B.B. King. And then that kind of led me into the classic rock realm that was basically blues music, like Led Zeppelin, a lot of Jimi Hendrix, Stevie Ray Vaughn, Cream, Eric Clapton. That's all kind of British guys. It was like British bands hearing Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf and Willie Dixon, and then, you know, interpreting that and then adding this like rock. Element to it, and then feeding it back to the United States. It was this like interesting sort of cyclical thing that happened with with blues music and rock and roll at that time. So I just got really into that. I was like, oh, it's so guitar driven. Jimmy Page, like this is amazing. That was that was kind of my roots. And then eventually that kind of that blues playing so fun and it's so exciting and it's super easy to improvise with other people. At least the way it's taught. I mean, it's like it's a twelve bar progression that yeah. sort of just repeats over and over again. And I mean, there's an album al- albums out there you could listen to that the whole album were like. 90% of the album will be the same exact chord progression in different keys and with with different feels and different vibes and different energy and different tempos and different licks. And, you know, when you really get into the blues, it's not repetitive. It's not the same. It's like truly endless. But for me, where I was, it was like, okay, I feel like I'm sort of just falling in the same pattern here and I'm not exploring. I'm not stretching out.
2: Hello everyone, my name is Aaron Fuller and I'm the assistant podcast director here at KCSU. I wanted to jump in here and discuss the next few minutes of the David Lawrence interview. Lawrence is going to start talking about his music experience growing up, specifically the genres of music and the artists he listened to. One of these people is Django Reinhardt, who is a Romani French jazz guitarist from the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. His music changed the jazz scene and many people have labeled this genre as the pejorative term gypsy jazz. This term has a lot of history for Romani people and the term is mostly used by non-Romani artists. The genre itself is also called Romani jazz or jazz maneuver but the other term is used because it is its own music genre. With that being said, Lawrence takes inspiration from Django and his music style, and he speaks with respect regarding this term. If you wish to learn more about Django and his music style, I suggest the article, What Do We Call the Music of Django Reinhardt, from the website latonique.news. Thank you all for listening, and without further ado, we'll continue the David Lawrence interview.
1: What do I need to do? Oh, I need to figure out what jazz is, because jazz is sort of the next step in blues. It's it's kind of that right after the blues, what happened. There's early jazz, there's Charlie Christian, There's Django Reinhardt, And I just listened to the music of Django, who revolutionized the jazz guitar and took it as like into becoming a lead instrument. And I was completely obsessed. And that was going on like 10, 9, 10 years ago. And I started a gypsy jazz band in Denver and became completely enthralled with the music of Django Reinhardt and that sort of has been this guiding force for my music in in terms of learning jazz really teaches you to kind of look at the whole fretboard and like look at the chord progressions in this bigger way you know where you really see how the harmonies playing with each other you really they explore some pretty like more complex chord progressions which really helps my songwriting and then when I write a song now it might sound nothing like Django Reinhardt or nothing like gypsy jazz it might sound like Americana roots music or whatever but it's all informed by the music that I learned from blues from Led Zeppelin and then eventually Django Reinhardt and it's like I'll have a song where oh this sounds kind of like a rock song but there's like a minor 7 flat 5 into like a flat 9 chord and it's like a whole reharmonization of like a normal one six two five. and it's like okay that that's because it's similar to this Django song even though it doesn't sound like jazz at all but it's the chords I learned and the licks and stuff so.
0: Are you perhaps a Mississippi John Hurt fan?
1: Of course yeah.
0: Yeah I notice a lot of like like the same style of Travis picking and stuff in your music.
1: Yes. His- yeah. Yeah. I do a lot of, a lot of Travis picking, which goes back of course to Merle Travis and yep. Chet Atkins and, Tommy Emanuel is the uh, kind of contemporary master of that style. I, I I love the using a thumb pick and like alternate yep. bass line. Yeah, Mississippi John Hurt and you've heard of Elizabeth Cotton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's like big fan. She's amazing too, and she played the guitar upside down. I have no idea how <laughs> she did that.
0: Yeah, tell me about your newest album. Like, what tracks are your favorite? Like the most meaningful and like some common themes that you notice.
1: The album it it stretches like the past you know like I said sort of decade of of writing. And thinking about music in this different in this way of trying to figure out like what I want to do with music. What 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 am what am I trying to say, kind of? And what what are the songs that are really summing up my life in this period of my life, and 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 bringing in the influences that I want to. And I think at the end of the day, the album is is basically it's an Americana roots album. It, it's my songs. It's kind of a singer songwriter vibe, but then it also just brings in all these influences of early blues and jazz and stuff. And the songs on it that I. I like the most. I the title track is really cool. It's it's I, I recorded the whole album. So I had nine tracks completely tracked, mixed and mastered. And I was, you know, go, getting into the next phase of the of the album, you know, life, which is getting album art, doing promotions, finding how to do marketing and getting an album release tour set up. And I wrote this song called Lean In. And I wrote it because me and my wife, my wife's pregnant with our first child. And the song song, I was like, you know, reminiscing about all the history that Yuko and I have and what we've gone through and and thinking about that first time that I leaned in to kiss her for our first kiss, like going on 12 years ago, whatever that is. And it was just this moment in our lives where she was supposed to, we were supposed to hang out, you know, we had hung out a few times and she knew I was into her and I I was hoping she was into me and I didn't want to be like stuck in the friend zone. And I was like, okay, like tonight's the night. I'm going to, I'm going to make a move. I'm going to like lean in. And try to kiss her or whatever. We we were living at Shambhala Mountain Center, which is that Buddhist retreat center, which is like fifty miles north of here, for for Collins and Red Feather Lakes. And we so we lived in these little cabins, like on site. And I was I was the chef there. She was working guest registrar. We like lived. We studied Buddhism. We lived there. And I invited her over to the cabin. And she is like prolifically late. So she was supposed to be there at seven. She didn't get there. I like totally gave up. I was like super upset. Like and there's no cell phones. Like there's no there's no service up there. So it's like such a you know distinct thing from our lives. It's People will just, oh, we'll play it by ear. Oh, we'll figure it out. Oh, whatever. You know, and then you just text them. Oh, I'm tired. I'm not going to come or or mm-hmm. or like, wait, where are you? Oh, I'm going to be late, whatever. Like no one cares. No one. People don't make plans the way that they used to. Living at SMC was like this. You know, you had to be at a certain place at a yeah. certain time or like you had no way to get in touch with them and you couldn't just be like, oh, like, oh, sorry, something came up, you know? Yeah. So seven o'clock goes by, eight o'clock goes by, nine o'clock goes by. I think like three hours later, 10 o'clock or like close to 10 o'clock, I, I hear that knock on my door. And I was like, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and she was there. And th- this song is just that story of my life, like pretending like, oh, yeah, I forgot you were coming. Oh, cool. Yeah. Awesome. And then trying to lean into the first kiss and she yeah. leaned back and it's been 10, 12 years and we have a little baby boy and a house in Longmont and best thing that ever happened to me by a long shot.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Tell me more. So you're Buddhist. Yeah. Yeah. And she is too. Mm-hmm. How does that like influence your music if it does at all? Or just like your outlook on how you create?
1: Actually, I mean, it actually probably does influence the way I create in a lot of ways because I teach songwriting workshops and stuff for people sometimes. And one of the things I talk about a lot is that songwriting is about painting a picture for someone that evokes a feeling kind of, you know, I mean, there's obviously a lot of things that songwriting is, but that's one aspect of it. It's it's giving someone this 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 landscape in their head and these images that just pull something out of them. You know, it's like, as opposed to saying, like using emotional language, you know, saying, oh, something happened to me and I feel so sad and I'm distraught and I'm hurt and I'm upset. All that emotional language, it doesn't really evoke that emotion in the listener very often. It's sort of just saying where you're coming from. But when you can really get into someone and be like, I still smell the perfume of her on the empty pillow next to me and the empty bottle of, you know, Jack Daniel's." is laughing at me, you know, it's like, okay, well, the smell, the feeling of that smell of someone that's not there. And the, you know, the, the, the look of an empty glass, like all these, those images might actually make someone feel something. Yeah. So when you're talking about how to create those ideas, well, how do you do that? You have to see them or feel them in your own life, but you can only do that. If you're present, you can only do that. If you're actually being grounded and in yourself and in your life and being in a creative like expression of yourself and in your life. And that is Buddhism. Buddhism is about being in the moment and seeing life for what it is without the veils that we put over our eyes every day. Mm-hmm. So when you can if you can do that authentically and be yourself authentically, then you can see the world authentically and you can convey that into songs in a way that is actually going to be really impactful for people. So yes, Buddhism definitely gets into my songwriting just from the very essence of learning what it means to be trying to be yourself every day and trying to let the veils of all the stuff that you carry down. Of course, like this album has been a complete exercise in that process. Because when you put out an album, when you do anything in life, you know, whether it's creative or relationship or, you know, academic for a lot of people that are in school right now, it takes a tremendous amount of vulnerability to show up every day and try to be yourself. It's like the hardest, thing in the world is to do that. You know, we're 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 so often just thinking to ourselves, oh, well, what does my professor want me to be? What does my like girlfriend want me to be more of? Like, what like, because you we just tell ourselves we're not good enough. We need to be better. We need to be more. We need to be different. Because if we're better and more and different, more people will like us. And it's the same thing when you put out an album. It's like, well, what what is marketable? What do people want? Like what what is success? Like what what is it going to look like from the outside for me to be doing this better and 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 like look successful and social media is like is the epitome of that the, like you're you're sort of always expected to kind of be like sharing this like image of what your brand is supposed to be and what like is supposed to be this 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 big important thing or something like that and Buddhism tells you like no you are yourself and that's good enough and that's what people actually want people actually just want you to to just be you yeah and I think that that's that's really hard lesson when you're putting out an album because there's all the chatter in your head telling you you're not good enough and that, that the music isn't good and all that talk goes into your head. So this has been a, a really big step in, in the right direction for me to let go of that voice and and just forge forward in my art.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I think that a lot of times musicians get stuck in like the same Thing, like that's on the radio and that like they think that everyone wants to hear and in my opinion and I think in the opinion of a lot of other people that like love music is that it's all about being who you are and being different and being interesting and it's not about like the same formula that like we've seen a million times that like will succeed it's about being yourself and like doing your own thing
1: yeah and at the end of the day it just doesn't really matter right like you're even if you sell out like a stadium you could be mm-hmm. depressed and like you know so what's really the point is it is it to be famous like because that are successful in like the standards of like commerce you know because yeah that doesn't relate to the success that you're going to feel in your heart and in your life but what will is if you just say I'm going to just be authentically creating what I want to and maybe yeah maybe that is is really typical pop music that is completely cookie cutter pop music but you know if that's what you're authentically like in your heart yeah. want to say then more power to you you know it's you know it's the same thing with what you said, though, about like being different. That is also an ego talking. Yeah, You know, that can be where like you're telling yourself, oh, I need to be different. Maybe that's, that's not what your, what your authentic self is wanting the art to be. It just wants it to be a really simple two chord song that you're just going to pour your heart out to or whatever, you know, whatever mm-hmm. it is. I found that a lot when I was doing my poetry way back in the day is I would obsess so much about because slam poetry is all about there's there's five people in the random people in the audience that they all get a um, scorecard and they just rate your poem, you know, on a scale from one to ten. And and then they they drop the highest score they drop the lowest score and then the three middle scores they add up and that's your score for your round Mm. that's what slam poetry is it's judged poems and then you have like a preliminary round and then a semifinals and then a finals and the winner wins the slam and like the very essence of that is so much based on being good for what the audience is going to like because you Mm want to win which is really weird it's like a very competitive form of art kind of it's hard to get away from that feeling of wanting to write for the audience you know Mm -hmm. but I, I just got so kind of obsessed with like oh is this line gonna get me that better score and is this line gonna get that laugh line that everyone's gonna like and and then slam poetry ends up getting this sort of things just start start sort of sounding the same or there's these like cadences and there's this there's this like rhythm to it that sort of ends up becoming very similar because everyone's sort of playing to the audience and playing to this like kind of lowest common denominator of who can get a better score and th- that's kind of why I moved away from it and moved towards music and something that was like no one's I'm not getting a Scorecard for this. Like, I'm just going to play my songs and people are going to dig it or not. And yeah. that's fine.
0: So, we talked a lot about, or not a lot, but a little bit about success earlier. And, like, how would you define success in your music and how have you found it or how are you waiting to find it?
1: Success is going to always be measured by. You, yourself you know you you are the only one that defines mm-hmm. what success is right y- yes and no i mean it depends on what you want out of music right yeah. for for me the choices that i made over the last uh, 6 7 years have made it where finance like money is a part of what success is for me yeah. because i'm a full time musician i make money by going out and playing shows and playing gigs. And that's my only way. I don't teach, I don't really do anything. I don't have any syndication or anything. And I have a mortgage, I have a family now. So obviously that's like a part of what success means for me. I have to make ends meet and like Mm -hmm. have a you know a a basic sort of foundation of of income and I have over the last like several years since I left my full-time job and just moved to doing music full time within like a year to maybe within two years I was making the same that I was as a head chef at a restaurant and I make like a good living doing it so there's that part of me that goes okay check one like you you have a a viable you know way of of providing for yourself and for your family that's like one form of success how many people like listen to the music that I put out you know is it How many followers do I have? How much Spotify traction do I have? And that is where you start getting into a real mess. Because those numbers are really subjective, and no matter how big or small they are, they could always be bigger. And that's where I like kind of that's the trap I fall into sometimes where mm-hmm. I don't It's like Oh, if I don't have a, a certain video I put out didn't get enough views or didn't get enough attention, then I, I don't feel successful that day or whatever. The other part of me that I, I always just lean into is the success of just being alive and just doing it, yeah. you know, just just being a musician, sharing your music, going to live gigs and making that one on one connection with someone that goes like this whole 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 weeks since I just put out an album. Every day I'm getting like text messages from family, from friends, from random people that like acquaintances that just got the vinyl in the mail, and you know just that feeling of hey, I did it. I put a lot of energy into making something that was expensive and challenging and hard, and poured my heart into it. And I tried to be as vulnerable as I could be, and I tried to and I did it the best that I could. You know, am I on the Billboard charts next year, next month, whatever? No. Like, am I playing Red Rocks next week? No. But I'm where I'm at right now. I'm playing fun shows for people that love me. I'm doing the best that I can. And this is the expression of where I am today. Yeah. And that's success. It's success because it exists. It's success because in 10 years or 20 years, my son is going to be able to like play a vinyl that I made about the first time I kissed his mom. Like if that was the only person that listened to it, wouldn't that be a success enough?
0: Yeah, that's insane to think about. So one thing about success that like I've personally been thinking about is that like once you achieve your goal, then you have to do something else. Like you're Mm -hmm. never there. It's like a moving the finish line's always moving. So how has that like been a challenge? or not a challenge for you.
1: It's exactly coming to terms with that. You know, the fact that it is so transitory and that you would never feel success. Like if you, if success is always going to be measured by something outside of yourself, then you will never feel successful. Yeah. You know? So the only way to... Feel successful and be successful in your heart is to find it in yourself and to know that it's there already, and it's not some metric that you're going to hit that's going to make you feel a certain way. Mm-hmm. And that that's just this. I get that with with anxiety. You know, I definitely suffer from from anxiety where I'll get like really worked up about, especially like this whole putting out an album and looking at the ticket sales for each one, how many people are going to be there. It's like this anxiety of it. And I realized a while ago that your your anxiety fixates on the outside thing and then the second that that's gone like I got my album release show at the Lariat like it was a huge success we sold tons of merch the the nice. owners were like you you guys sold more tickets on a Thursday night in the off season than like pretty much any band could have done here like you did a great job everyone was so stoked it was a beautiful night and then like how quickly is my anxiety just gonna jump to the Fort Collins show and then jump mm-hmm. to the Denver show and then after all these shows are done I'll focus I'll f- it'll find something else it will never stop and that's like success right you're always gonna just place it on something something outside of yourself. But you have to realize the anxiety is not about anything. It's just me yeah. feeling it and it desperately attaching itself to other things in my life. Yeah. So I guess the whole like crux of the whole thing is, okay, how do I stop this chasing mentality and the sort of tomorrow mentality and this looking towards what's going to fix it mentality and sort of just be here?
0: Let's change it up a little bit. So I read this article about the seed, your song, The Seeds We Sow and the Marshall. Fires? Can mm-hmm. you tell me a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, the seeds we sow is a song that I wrote in fall of 2020. If you guys were up here, got decimated with smoke coming yeah. from the fires in that that year. I'm in Longmont, so I was driving up from Denver, mm-hmm. and you could see the line in the sky yeah. where the smoke started billowing into like Longmont and Loveland and Fort Collins from mm-hmm. like the dichotomy of from of from Denver. It was stark, you know, a line in the sky of like the upside down world, you know, and Stranger Things like this diff this stark difference and then then that same day starts snowing so Mm -hmm. I remember it was like ashing on us and snowing at the same time the pandemic was still like raging pretty hard and it just pulled this song out of me the seeds we sow it's about accepting that we're not really in that much control of what's going to happen and we're only able to just try to grow from it try to accept it and then there's a line and and it's not even like this, this sugar coated thing where sometimes people have that feeling and they go oh it'll all work out like, oh, it'll all be okay. It's like, no, maybe it's not going to be okay. Maybe it's going to get worse Mm -hmm. than it is now. And we're still not in control. And we, the only thing we can do is still to just accept it and learn from it. Yeah. You know, I wrote that song from that fire and then I put it out as my first single and it was just really weird coincidence, I put it out at the same day that the Marshall Fire down in Boulder Really? Yeah.
0: Oh my God, that's like crazy how things work out sometimes.
1: Yeah, Yeah. auspicious and coincidental and- But like,
0: are there ever really coincidences though?
1: Yeah, I don't know. So I mean, that that happened and I was like, oh my God. And we shouted it out to a lot of people. I got onto some fundraiser drives where I was able Mm -hmm. to like kind of give the song to them to use and to like use for promotion. And I did like a benefit concert and stuff I used the song for the benefit concert and so it ended up being good that I was able to share it not good that that fire happened and I (laughs) I was just down there I mean it really was there's it's just it's it's really odd because we're used to the fires being in the more rural areas but that was such a important and scary fire because he just took out these like like homes big big home residences like just in the middle of Lafayette and it's like it was
0: insane it was insane
1: I I had a show that day with my buddy coming from Netherlands Mm -hmm. area so so he's like on the far side of Boulder, trying yeah. to get to Denver for a show with me. We're just talking about stuff on the phone. He's like, dude, I don't know, something's going on. I think I see smoke, This cop cars. And then it's like, oh man, they're shutting the road down. He's like, ah, I don't know, I gotta go. And he's like, yeah, he's seeing flames. He was like in the middle of it and had to like swerve around the, mm-hmm. this farmland and get out of there. And what would you say is the favorite song that you've ever written? I know that's a hard question. It can be like a couple or like your favorite era of your songwriting. Uh, and I wrote, I guess it's, uh, is this a cop out? Like the next one. <laughs> 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 the last, like, the last one. I-, I guess I'm always stoked on like the one that I just wrote, mm-hmm. kind of. I'm like, oh, this one's going to be really good, you know, and sharing that. And like, I always get like really juiced on like the one that I'm working on. And then yeah I try to play it for everyone, like my friends and family. Because part like, I just want to, you know, share a new song with them. And then the other part is like, oh, I want to like work on it. Yeah. in like a pressure situation, but not like too much pressure, mm-hmm. you know, like where, you know, hey, listen to my song. And like, they'll stop and be quiet and I'll play my two minute, three minute song. And then it's like, oh, did you like this part? Do you like that part? And I kind of re- refine it, figure out like where the people are like really digging. Like you could kind of, you could feel when like, like oh people are really paying attention right now Mm -hmm. or they're oh I'm kind of losing them you know you can sort of feel it almost like comedy you know there's this interaction and you feel that interaction when you're intimate with people a lot more than when you're on stage you know I mean you feel it on stage too in a really big way it just depends on the crowd and stuff but I don't know I really like doing that but I I love lean in just for the fact that it's really like meaningful and emotional to me one of my favorite songs off the album is the song honeymoons over I just love the way it turned out I like the songwriting is Is pretty strong, but then the harmonies that I'm doing with Bonnie Culpepper, it's a duet. We, I feel like we really crush it. And then the way the instrumentation worked out was so fun. We had our drummer picked up a washboard and started doing like washboard playing. And I brought in one of the best organ vintage Leslie speaker, organ players in Denver. And he came late, laid down the whole track. And the whole thing for me is like, Oh, this is, this is a jam right now. So
0: that's awesome. Do you have any like songs or albums that you really love that you didn't write
1: from other artists? Yeah, like any yeah.
0: particular favorite?
1: I mean, I love I love Taj Mahal. That's he's yeah. one of my favorite musicians and I love all his albums. He's like my hero in a lot of ways because he he's a blues artist, but he doesn't just twi- play twelve-bar blues. He plays like a lot of different kind of variations, and he's a real scholar of roots music, particularly African American roots music. You know, Caribbean music that came up because half his family was Caribbean, so he mm-hmm. has this sort of Zydeco esque flair in some of his songs. And I, I just feel like he he's my hero because he takes the music, that roots music that inspired him, but he makes something that is him and very unique to Taj Mahal and to what he's doing. That that's what I love in my music. I love being able to take inspiration from something, but not copying it and yeah. making it new and making it what I'm inspired by. So I, I love Taj's music. I was I listened to a ton of Bob Dylan growing up too when I was just learning about like the singer-songwriter vibe, Dylan, and of course the Beatles. My dad was the biggest Beatles fan, so we got into that.
0: What are some of your favorite venues that you've played at so far?
1: There's some really, really good venues. I just played up at the Mish like a few weeks ago, and that place was cool. That was really fun, really good vibes. It's super cool to be on the river. I love playing all like the legit old school like Colorado locations. So we headlined and played the Gold Hill Inn, which is I wouldn't say it's like the Mish of Boulder. It's like an old building. I mean it was like built in, I think the 1800s, like mid 1800s. It's the, the whole town of Gold Hill is this just old gold rush town. Everything is still the old buildings. It's got a vibe and the people just go there every weekend from Boulder. They just head up there. There's always great bands playing. We played there twice this summer. That was really fun. And then for Denver, some of my favorite spots, I played the the Denver Botanic Gardens. They have this big concert series in the summer in this like big sunken part of the gardens. There's like, few Thousand people. I opened for a band there a few years back, and that was a really incredible just opportunity and good time. And a lot of venues, <laughs> lot yeah, of good spots. Do you have any like on your list that you're like, oh, I really want to play there? I'd love to play Dylan Amphitheater. I that's my one of my favorite, if not my favorite, venues right now is Dylan Amphitheater. It's so gorgeous on the lake. And me and my wife got married. Oh, really? On Dylan Lake, on the you could see it from the Dylan Amphitheater. We'll, we'll always like be at shows and be like, there it is. There it is. <laughs> so that's would be kind of special emotionally and it's it's of course an incredible venue but i would like i would really love to play just some more shows up in fort collins the swing station was really cool i'd like to play there in the summer sometime i think yeah. the outdoor venue would be more fun washington's would be great aggie avos. avos i gotta play avos soon that's just a vibe there
0: yeah they're so sick everything there is like incredible they have bluegrass jam nights on like wednesday or tuesday nights and they go until like three in the morning.
1: I'll come up for one of those. Yeah, they're so cool. I I did one of my first open mics ever. Was that really? Because when I first moved to Colorado 12 years ago, I moved Mm to Fort Collins. So I, I was working at Lucille's at the breakfast restaurant and Enzio's, which is this old Italian place that's not there anymore. And like working doubles, like get there at seven in the morning at, at Lucille's and work until like 11 or 12 at Enzo's, like three or four days a week. Mm-hmm. And then I had like one day off a week, basically, and was working my hard. And then that's after that is when I went up to Shambhala Mountain Center. And then from there, I went to India. I lived there for like eight months. And then I came back to Colorado.
0: That's so cool. Had living in India affected your music at all, would you say?
1: I practiced a lot. I think it kind of influenced my music and realizing how important music is. Yeah. You know, because I would be on the street just practicing and playing, like, you know, this is like a decade ago. So I was still, I've been playing for maybe five, six, seven years, but that's still pretty new in music. Yeah. And so I had my handful of songs, I had like a handful of originals, I had the handful of Beatles songs I knew, the handful of blues songs I knew. And I would just kind of sit on the street and play music. And almost every time it was it would end up like with an interaction, like someone wanting to take me to meet their family and, and play. And they'd like make me a cup of tea and, or someone want to like have another instrument and play a new song with me or, or get my number and, and, And all this stuff and really made me understand that music is the international language. And no matter where anyone's coming from, music is going to touch them and I'm going to be able to communicate with them. And the more that I've grown in my in my technique and ability to play and improvise different stuff, I really see how like impactful that is. You know, I was down in Mexico, I guess right before the pandemic, and just people that we don't speak the language at all, but then we could just start playing and it's like we can completely communicate with each other. Like how cool is that? You know, it's it's really, really insanely magical. So being being out there inf- influenced me in that way. I wanted to learn like some Indian ragas and like learn like the technique of some of the playing, but I wasn't able to do that at that time. And it yeah. was, not, was not good enough. And it was also, it's also the way that they relate to music in India for ragas and Indian classical music is not at all how we relate to music here. I felt like there wasn't so many like amateur musicians. It mm-hmm. was kind of like you take it really seriously. You study for like a decade. I mean, I couldn't just, hey, I want to take a sitar lesson? No, that that's not a thing. You would have to get a guru that would want to take you on and commit to like years of being with them, like living with them, for someone to teach you how to that's play. That's
0: Insane. Yeah,
1: the relationship that you have to your teacher is like a spiritual relationship where you have a guru. You do whatever they say. I mean, they, they tell you, okay, you need to hike up to this mountain and get this one thing and come back for me. It's going to take three months. Like you go and you do that. You know, th- they'll sometimes they'll make you. You do weird things just to sh- to prove your devotion, and they'll you'll you'll have to eat a certain way, you'll have to sleep a certain way, you'll have to practice yoga a certain way, you'll have to meditate a certain way, all of these things to get that music to be like a part of you, and that 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 is the true like essence of these Indian classical musicians that are at that high level. All of them had had to have that relationship with someone like that. It's it's very different than how we think about it. It's cool. So my my violin player and one of my best buds. Coleman Smith, he lives down in Buena Vista. He just went on a tour to India. I think he's been two times, maybe three, with a band called the Bluegrass Journeymen. And they have gone on tours in India and they bring. American bluegrass music. And then they fuse it with some Indian music as well. And their um, dobro player, Billy, me and him were, were talking. He has a teacher, a guru teacher in, in India. He hasn't like had to live with him a long time, but he has like had to study with him in like intensive ways mm-hmm. and learn to learn some of these ragas because it's not just something that someone's going to teach you. Like These ragas, these series of notes and cadences, it's not like just a scale. It's like a part of themselves. It's a part of their culture. It's a part of heritage has gone back For millennia. So it's not just something that they're going to teach you. It's something you have to, you have to like completely own it. And what he was saying was that these musicians, it's like they'll, they'll play in the same key for like years. They'll play in C sharp. That's the only Hmm. key they'll play in. It's just a totally different way of how we think about music. You know, it's not about the keys, it's about these, these ragas. And like, it's just a totally different way of exploring music and thinking about it. That blew my mind though. He was telling me that there's guys he met that they'll only play in. And and then it's like, well, what, what do two people do? It's like, well, if you're like the lesser the younger one then like you'll you'll have to play their key like to the guy Hmm. that's when they practice like that they they play their key and it's like how intimate would you know what D sounds like yeah you know, like you wouldn't know all you ever
0: did you would know so
1: intimately like what the feeling of that scale that that chord is and that key is it's wild that is crazy
0: this is kind of all we have time for but before we end off the interview is there anything that you want to talk about or like anything that you want to plug
1: I I, you know I don't know who's listening out there and when this is going to check out the album. Go to Spotify. It's already up there. It's called Lean In, David Lawrence and the Spoonful. Thanks, Bailey, for having me. I appreciate yeah, being here. of course.
0: Here. Thank you so much for coming in.